Welcome to Bible study tonight. We're studying through the book of Acts because we want to relive it, and certainly we are reliving it. And tonight we're we're going to read about something that is going on in our world today in an increasing measure. It was something that was going on in the first century and uh, is still going on today. And so I'm really excited to study this chapter with you. Acts chapter 16, before we start reading the text, let's read the opening paragraph in our handout. It's a little summary of the chapter. Acts chapter 16 is about Paul and Silas embarking on Paul's second missionary journey. He'd already taken one missionary journey with Barnabas, and now he's about to embark on his second missionary journey. Along the way, they find Timothy, and they train him up in the gospel. Then they receive what we know as the Macedonian call. Timothy joins Paul and Silas, and their missionary work continues. Uh, Something interesting that happens, uh, Paul actually circumcises Timothy to prevent difficulties in preaching to older Jews as the boy grows into church leadership. Now, last week in Acts chapter 15, we studied uh, that circumcision was not going to be a requirement for new believers. And then here in the next chapter, Paul is uh, finding Timothy Uh, preaching the gospel to him, and then brings him on his missionary journey. And the first thing he does is circumcise him. So we're going to talk about that for a few moments and see what's going on there. And then uh, the missionaries cast out an evil spirit from a young woman. And as a result, those who profited monetarily from her fortune-telling accused Paul and Silas of promoting the worship of And this is key, of an unauthorized deity. Just think about that. They accuse Paul of worshiping an unauthorized deity, an unauthorized God or spirit. Uh, The crowd attacks Paul and Silas. The city leaders tear their clothes. Law enforcement beats them and puts them in jail. The example of Paul and Silas shows that Christians should prepare to expel accept persecution, but it is still proper to insist on our legal rights. So uh, that's what I'm talking about, something going on in our world today. Uh, The rights of Christians are being trampled on, and uh, many falsely believe that they should just sit back and let that happen, and nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, Paul and Silas they demand that their, their civil rights, their human rights, which come from God, be honored. They insist on their legal rights as uh, Roman citizens when they're unjustly jailed. Okay, and then finally, when the city leaders ask Paul and Silas to leave quietly, what do they do? They refuse. They're Roman citizens, and the city leaders are afraid of the consequences of their mistreatment. And then the jailer tends to Paul and Silas's wounds and asks how he can be saved. You know him as the Philippian jailer. And then he and his household believe and are baptized. So that's a little summary of the chapter. And now what we want to do is dive in and go verse by verse through the chapter and pull out anything and everything. Well, maybe not everything, but anything that we can pull out that will help us grow in our understanding of the word. So here we go. Let's read verses 1 through to 5. Paul also came to Derbe and to Lystra. So remember, they've, they've started their second missionary journey. They've left Antioch, and now they've, um, they've traveled not, not a long way, but they've traveled, I'm looking at my map here in, in my Bible, Uh, They've traveled around the coast, first to Tarsus, and now they're in Derbe 
and Lystra. So they're on the first part of their missionary journey. And if you have a, a, a copy of, of the Bible, you could probably go to the back of, of the book and find the maps. And there is probably a map of Paul's second missionary journey. So if you want, while we're reading through, uh, you can flip back and forth to that. So they started in Antioch where Paul and Barnabas were pastoring the church there. And they set out and, of course, went to Tarsus first. And now the first stop in their journey is Lystra and Derby. A disciple was there. A disciple of who? A disciple of Christ, of course. And his name was Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, and his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. That is, Timothy was well spoken of. He had a good reputation. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And so he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Verse 4, And they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them the observance of the decisions that they had reached in Jerusalem with the other elders. So remember that Jerusalem council that we studied last week in chapter 15, where they determined that the Gentiles did not need to be circumcised and that they should really abstain from meat offered to idols and anything that was strangled and has blood in it and that they should abstain from Sexual immorality. That's what, that's what verse 4 is talking about. They're delivering to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. So the first leg of Paul's missionary journey, they're going through uh, towns that are populated by Jewish people. They're just outside of the borders of Israel, but there's still a lot of Jewish people living in these cities, and so that's what they're doing when they're preaching and planting churches. They're telling the Jews there what was decided down in Jerusalem for Gentile believers, that they don't need to be circumcised and that they should be careful what they eat with regards to it being offered to idols and how it's killed and that they should, of course, abstain from sexual immorality. And then verse 5 says, So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Which is an incredible thing. Something I want to relive. You know, we're talking about reliving the book of Acts. I want to see our church increase in number, not just every week or every month or every year, but daily. I want to relive that. And I believe by God's grace, we will, as we continue to pursue revival and as we continue to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. So let's talk about Timothy's circumcision here for a moment. Uh, so Paul and Silas, they set out on their missionary journey, and they find a young disciple by the name of Timothy who had been converted on their first missionary journey. And uh, Paul mentions that in his letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 2, that Timothy was converted on Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey. When they come back around the second time, they find that Timothy is actually being well spoken of by the brothers, and he's got an evident call to ministry on his life, and so Paul wants to take him along, give him some experience. And so Paul proceeds to circumcise Timothy. Now, is this in contradiction to what they just determined down in Jerusalem in the previous chapter? Well, the answer is no. We're given a clue here as to why Timothy was circumcised. It says that he was the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And Paul and Silas were going to be preaching in a lot of predominantly Jewish towns and villages in the first part of their missionary journey. And so they didn't want Timothy's uncircumcision to hinder their ministry. 
they didn't want the, the uncircumcision of Timothy to not only be a stumbling block to the Jews that they were ministering to, but Paul circumcised Timothy so that the Jews wouldn't be a stumbling block to their ministry. They wanted to preach the gospel. They didn't want to argue over circumcision. You know what I mean? They wanted to preach Jesus. They didn't want to focus on, um, you know, the Mosaic law and um, the, the ceremonial law and the sign of the covenant, which was circumcision. They kind of wanted to bypass that. Uh, you know, the Bible tells us that they, that they delivered to those churches what was determined in the Jerusalem Council, again, about circumcision for Gentiles. But when it came to preaching to these Jewish people, they didn't want this to be an issue at all. And uh, Timothy, obviously, was willing to go through with this. He believed in the call. And so he agreed to be circumcised so that his uncircumcision wouldn't be a stumbling block and so that it wouldn't be a stumbling block to their ministry as well. Sorry, wouldn't be a stumbling block to the Jews or that the Jews wouldn't be a stumbling block to their ministry. Um, however, uh, Paul refused to circumcise Titus, who was not a half-Jew, but was a total Gentile. Uh, and this is, of course, a source of major controversy in the early church, and we'll get to that later on. But it, it seems pretty obvious to me why Paul proceeded to circumcise Timothy. And of course, Timothy must have been a willing participant. And I don't think that this contradicts the decision they made down in Jerusalem just the chapter before. But it's interesting the lengths to which people will go to minister to people and to preach the gospel. Okay, let's keep reading. Chapter 16, verse 6 to 13. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So they decided that they were going to go on this missionary journey. They didn't quite know where they were going. We get a clue in the previous chapter. Paul said that he wanted to go check up on all the churches that they had planted the first time around and then possibly go beyond that. And so they started out checking up on some of the churches that they had already planted. And now they're looking to go beyond where they had been before. And so they seemingly decided to go to Asia, the, the Roman province of Asia, but the Holy Spirit forbid them to go there. And then when they came up uh, to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Holy Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to. So they're trying to find out where they're going next, and they're starting off in this direction, and they're being prevented, and they go back in that direction, and they're being uh, prevented. And so uh, what happens? Uh, passing by Mysia, they went down into Troas. And while they were in Troas, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And then, uh, when Paul had seen the vision, immediately... We sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, this is a really interesting passage, and something neat happens here that you might not notice, but I'll point it out to you as we look into the, the notes on the handout. But uh, here... Let's read that together. Paul obviously intended to enlarge the circumference of his missionary journeys in Asia Minor, but the Spirit moves him out of Asia. When Paul reaches Troas, he apparently didn't know where he was to go next until he was given the vision of the man of Macedonia. 
he accepts this as the Spirit's moving him to Europe. And what's interesting here, and the thing you might not have noticed, is that it is in this paragraph that the author of this book, Dr. Luke, joins the party at Troas. And you can see that in verse 8, or verse 6 to 8, it talks about how they went through the region and they were forbidden and they had come to Mesia and they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit did not allow them. They went down to Troas and then Paul has this vision. And then verse 10 it says, when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia. Uh, Dr. Luke was a doctor in Troas, and he was likely a convert to Christianity. He obviously was at this time, but he was likely converted during a missionary journey of Paul. And he was likely Paul's physician. We know that Paul had some physical ailments, a thorn in the flesh that, uh, that caused him a lot of discomfort. And uh, Luke was likely his physician. We know that Luke accompanied him in prison and helped him uh, write a number of, uh, or like he, Paul dictated to Luke a number of his letters. And in fact, the book of Acts was likely written while Paul was in a Roman prison as Paul was recounting his, um, his experiences to Luke. So here, Dr. Luke, the author of this book, he joins the party. He joins uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy on this missionary journey. And uh, it says, when he had the vision, we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel in Europe. So they were in um, Israel, in Jerusalem. Then they traveled up to Antioch which is right around that Roman province of Asia and Asia Minor, and so that's where they planned to go. But God wanted them to go to Europe, and there's a real amazing reason why he wanted them to go over there. And we're going to discover that in a few moments, but it's fascinating to me that God allows us to figure some things out and to take next steps but he also puts up red lights for us and tells us no and if we would listen to his no and just wait eventually he will tell us go uh, it's amazing what might have happened or might not have happened if Paul and Silas didn't listen to the Holy Spirit. I mean, they wanted to go somewhere and preach the gospel. What's wrong with that? But God had different plans. He wanted them to go to Europe at this specific time for what I believe is a very specific reason. And so because they heard the no of God, they waited until they heard the go of God. And so they head over to Europe to bring the gospel there. So let's read about the conversion of Lydia here in verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, which if you have your map there, you can see is a, is a coastal community. It's a, it's a port town. They set sail from Troas and they made a direct voyage to Samothrace. And the following day they were in Neapolis. And from there, they went to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. So if you're looking at your map there, you can see where they set sail and where they went. And they ended over in Philippi, going through the Aegean Sea there. And I'm sure that was a beautiful voyage. And they end up in Philippi, the leading city of the district of Macedonia, which we know to be uh, Europe today. And uh, Luke says, Now that we remained in the city for several days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside where we were 
sorry, where we were supposed there was a place of prayer. Did I read that right? To the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. Yes, and we went and sat down and spoke to the woman who had, uh, to the women who had come together. And one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, her and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. And so here we read about a prayer meeting that was happening by a river. And I believe that it was at this prayer meeting, or as a result of this prayer meeting, that Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke uh, received the Macedonian call. We read here that Lydia was a worshiper of God, the God of Israel. Um, But she had not yet heard the gospel That's why it says the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. I'm sure news of Jesus had reached them, and I'm sure she was curious. Some biblical scholars believe that she was actually the man of Macedonia that Paul saw in a vision, so that Paul didn't necessarily see a man, but that he saw a human. He saw a person from Macedonia saying, come and preach the gospel To us. And so, however that worked out, and whatever Paul actually saw, we know that as soon as they got there and they were there for a few days, they heard about this prayer meeting that goes on down by the river. And so they went down and they met Lydia. And she was the first convert, uh, what we, at least what we recorded convert, on this second missionary journey. Up until this point, it sounds as though. They were going back to the churches they'd already planted, and, and they were, they were uh, preaching to the believers there. And it says that the Lord added to the church daily, but I believe that that was because the churches that Paul planted were doing what churches ought to do, which is have services and preach the gospel and you know fulfill the Great Commission. But here we read of the first recorded convert of Paul's preaching, at least by name, in this chapter and on this missionary journey. And what we read is that Lydia comes to faith and her whole household. And she's so grateful for the preaching of the gospel and for the salvation that she received that she um, says to this group of four, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my house. And uh, she prevailed upon us. Well, that means that she was really convincing. She she had the gift of hospitality. She probably had a beautiful home and uh, lots of provision, and so that's where they went and stayed. And it's at this time that they established the church in Philippi, the church to which the, the epistle of Philippians is written. Uh, The church in Philippi holds a special place in Paul's heart. I've said this before. The church in Philippi is the only church to which Paul wrote that he didn't correct them on anything. If the Corinthians were the messed up church, the Philippians were the church that had their stuff together. And so whenever Paul writes them, he encourages them only. He he doesn't have to correct them on anything. It's possible that he didn't have to correct them because he stayed with them the longest. It's possible. Uh, But either way, this church in Philippi holds a really special place in Paul's heart, as you'll come to find out as we continue to read. And as you read through the book of Philippians, Paul says that they are the church that he loves and the church that really loves him. And contrast that, I guess, even with the church in Galatia, for example. They were a church that um, they were a church that was bewitched by the Judaizers that came in, and um, you know didn't quite believe all of what Paul had to say. Contrast that with the church in Corinth, 
who were arguing about who baptized who. Some were saying, well, I am of Apollos, and others were saying, I am of Paul. And so there was some division there, but this church in Philippi just loved Paul. He was their favorite, and um, they were his favorite. And so there was a really unique relationship there between Paul and this church in Philippi. All right, let's keep reading. We'll read a few verses. Then I want to read an excerpt from a book that I've been reading. I've been just firing through this book. It's incredible. Uh, So I want to read a couple verses, then I want to read from another book, and then we'll continue reading the text. So here we are, verse 16. And as we were going to the place of prayer, which was down by the river, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination. She was demon-possessed. And brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She was demon-possessed, and as a result of her possession, she was able to either predict the future or tell the fortunes of people with some level of accuracy because the Bible says that her owners um, received much gain. She was a very valuable slave to them. So she must have been able to, like I said, predict the future and fortunes of the people who visited her to some degree of accuracy because people kept coming back and they wanted to know what their fortune was. And she had this spirit of divination. And verse 17 says that she followed Paul and us crying, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now remember, in our introduction, I said that these uh, preachers, Paul and Silas and Timothy and and Luke, they were charged with worshiping an unauthorized deity. Philippi was not a Christian city. Macedonia was not a Christian nation. They were a pagan nation. And uh, there were only certain gods that could be worshiped. And this God of Israel, this Most High God, was not an authorized deity that was to be worshipped. And that's what this uh, slave girl, this demon-possessed girl, this fortune teller, was crying out. Now, we could read that and go, oh, that's great. She knew that they were servants of the Most High. She wasn't saying it because she thought it was a good thing or because she was being convicted at this point, she was saying it because the demon inside of her knew it and didn't want them there. And so she was crying out, they're servants of the Most High God, to get them in trouble. And we know that they got in trouble because they end up arrested and beaten and, and imprisoned because they're servants of the Most High God. Verse 18, and she kept doing this for many days. And Paul finally had enough. He became greatly annoyed. And he turned and he said to the spirit, to the demon inside her, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. It was amazing. I want to read to you uh, a couple of pages from a book called The Return of the Gods by Jonathan Kahn. Maybe some of you have read it or heard of it or seen him talking about it on TV or YouTube. But he he writes a little bit about this, uh, this story and gives it some really amazing context. And so if you would indulge me, I'd just like to read a few pages from chapter five of, of his book, The Return of the Gods. 2,000 years ago, in the midst of the Greco-Roman world, in the heartland of Galilee, in the hilltop village of Nazareth, there appeared a Jewish man named Yeshua, who would become known to much of the world as Jesus. He came as the long-prophesied Redeemer, the Messiah of Israel, the light of the world, He would in time become the central figure of human history. The earliest accounts of his ministry record his performing miracles in the sight of the Judean multitudes. 
The lame walked. The blind received sight. The lepers were healed. But another miracle of healing uh, that, was record, uh, that was recorded to have been performed was described by the Greek word ekbalo. And ekbalo means to expel, to eject, to cast out, to send away. The Bible records several encounters between Jesus and those who were possessed or demonized by unclean spirits. And in each and every case, he cast out the demonic spirit. In each case, the person was set free, healed, and restored to his or her right mind. Before the end of his ministry on earth, Jesus imparted the same power of ekbalo, the ability to expel, eject, cast out, or send away. He imparted that same power to his disciples. In the fourth decade of the first century, so right about now, 40 years, 40 AD, the message of forgiveness, salvation, and eternal life in the death and resurrection of Jesus the Messiah, the message that would become known as the gospel, went forth from the city of Jerusalem, and it spread first throughout the land of Judea, then to Samaria, and then into the nations and to the Gentiles. The gospel and the word of God had crossed into the pagan world. That crossing would change the course of human history. The message of God now entered the lands of many gods and idols. The message of God, capital G, entered the lands of many gods. Remember, we, we talked about God said no when they wanted to go into Asia, into Asia Minor. And so they stopped and waited for God's go. And he said, I want you to go over into Macedonia, into Europe, into uh, Greece. I want you to go into the realm of many gods and idols. I want you to go into the realm of mythology the Spirit of God now moved through the world of the spirits. The capital S, Spirit of God, was now moving through the world of the spirits, small s. And the disciples of God now moved through the dominion of demons. If behind the gods, small g, are principalities, then when the two worlds met, we would expect an intense conflict. And that's exactly what took place, a clash of spirits when the Spirit of God moved into the realm of the spirits. The book of Acts records several of those clashes. And it was in the city of Philippi that a woman possessed with the spirit of divination stalked the apostle Paul and his co-workers for days, and Luke, the writer of the account, uses the Greek word python to describe the possessing spirit. It is the same word used to identify, and, and this is referring to something he was talking about earlier in the book, to identify the oracle of Delphi and the spirit that possessed her and the God behind the spirit that possessed her. After several days of being followed or stalked, the apostle Paul cast out the demon of the woman. And it was that casting out of the spirit that led to a violent backlash. The crowds went into an uproar. The two disciples were arrested, beaten, and imprisoned. Their imprisonment only came to an end when an earthquake shook the prison to its foundations. And then he goes on to talk about another instance in the city of Ephesus. But what I wanted to point out there and why I wanted to read that to you is to give some context as to why I believe God was sending them to Macedonia and into the land of many gods and many idols. And in fact, in the next chapter, Acts 17, Paul walks through Athens where he sees all the idols and all the statues to all the gods. And he sees the statue to the unknown God. And he has an opportunity then to preach the gospel, and he uses their mythology. 
by saying, you don't know that God, but I do. And let me tell you who he is. And so I believe that's why God is sending them over to this land, to this land of the many gods, to preach to them that there is one God and mediator, the man Christ Jesus. And interestingly enough, that is something that Paul told Timothy in his first letter, 1 Timothy chapter 2. There is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Uh, Timothy was pastoring in Ephesus, which was a, uh, um, a city that was similar to Philippi. There, there would have been a lot of people there that worshipped a lot of gods. And maybe Timothy was thinking, well, maybe there is more than one God or one way. Or maybe he was tempted to preach that or he you know, didn't know what to say. And that's why Paul had to, to write him and say, one God, one mediator between God and man, that is Jesus Christ. All right, let's uh, keep reading. So we have this uh, casting out of the demon. And verse 19 says, When her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And then when, when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. How were they disturbing the city? They were, uh, they were talking about an unauthorized deity. They were promoting the worship of an unauthorized deity. They were disturbing the city. Verse 21, they advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave them orders to beat them with rods. Now, I want to point out something here in verse 21 that's not in your notes, but it's in my study Bible. Um, they're disturbing the city, and they advocate customs that are not lawful for us. What were they advocating? This charge is that Paul and Silas were propagating an illegal religion and disturbing the peace. At this time, the official religion of Rome was the Caesar cult, the cult of Caesar. The, the creed of Rome was Caesar is Lord. And so when they show up and they start preaching that Jesus is Lord, and, you know, this... this demon-possessed girl is saying, these are servants of the Most High God, the God of Israel, and they're proclaiming the way of salvation. Well, to proclaim the way of salvation, you need to proclaim that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. And so this is contrary to the, the Roman ideology, which is that Caesar is Lord and there is only one God and his name is Caesar, and there's only one king, and his name is Caesar. And so the official religion of Rome at this time is the Caesar cult. And because of Philippi's status as a Roman colony, and, and we read that it was a leading city of the district in uh, chapter, or in, in verse 12, because of Philippi's status as a colony, its citizens are Romans, and they enjoy the legal status beyond those of the other Macedonian cities. In other words, they were going along with the empire and they were being rewarded for it. That stuff's still going on today. I won't go down that rabbit trail, but you know what I'm talking about. You push the agenda and you get... No, I said I wasn't going down that rabbit trail, so I'm not going... Never mind. Uh, the charge is inflamed by culture and religious prejudice. These men are Jews, it says. Ironically, it will come to light that Paul and Silas themselves are Roman citizens whose civic rights are being violated by these charges and by this um, trial before the rulers of the city. So that's the, that's the customs that they're advocating that are not lawful for Romans to practice. They're not, they're not 
telling them to do anything that is necessarily against they're not they're not getting them to they're not promoting the practice of things that are immoral but they are promoting the practice of things that are um, unlawful for Romans to do verse 22 and the crowd joined in attacking them mob mentality Social contagion. A few people got upset. A few people got offended. And they pointed it out. And then all of a sudden, the crowd shows up. And they start attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off them. They acted irrationally, right? They, they responded to the mob mentality. They tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them in prison. All of the stuff that they did here, they are not supposed to do to Roman citizens. And they didn't even do their due diligence to find out, are these people Romans? They took the word of a demon-possessed girl and some crazed lunatics in the crowd who said, these men are Jews. They didn't do any more investigation to find out, well, are they Romans too? Because that was quite possible, obviously. But they were incited with violence and hatred because the spirit in them is at war with the spirit that was in Paul and Silas. And we see that because this demon-possessed girl is following them around for days, aggravating them, agitating them. And so that's why I believe the crowd was so incited because the spirit that was in them, these evil spirits that they worshipped, was at war with the spirit of God that was in Paul and Silas, Timothy and Luke. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, verse 23, they threw them in prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. And by keep them safely, they didn't mean like treat them well. They meant make sure these guys don't get out. And having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and he fastened their feet in stocks. Okay, let's keep reading. I just don't want to get ahead of the notes, but I don't think I am. The notes that you have there, I've just summarized basically what's going on in the chapter. So let's just keep reading. We have a few minutes left, and I want to get through the chapter. So here we are, verse 28. They've been arrested. They're in the innermost prison. They're in solitary confinement. And they're locked in stocks and bonds. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundation of the prison was shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And while the, sorry, when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Remember, he was given an official order. Keep these men safely. He was going to kill himself because he knew that if he didn't kill himself, he was going to be killed anyway, and he wanted to die on his own terms. He assumed that the prisoners were escaped. But Paul cried out in a loud voice, Don't harm yourself. We're all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in and Trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas, and then he brought out the others and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Now just remember, we're so used to hearing that phrase, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we don't realize how powerful and how dangerous it was for people to say that phrase in the first century, in first century Rome. 
Paul and Silas are telling this Philippian jailer to do something so radical and so contrary to what he was used to, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved, you and your household. Of course, I believe in household salvation. I believe that's the will of God for our families, that our families be saved, that the family circle would would be unbroken in heaven. But what Paul and Silas are not saying here is that if the dad believes or the mom believes, the household is saved. Each person must believe on their own and make their confession that Jesus is Lord, just like this jailer did. But this jailer was so convinced that he convinced his whole household to be saved, just like Lydia did a few paragraphs before. She believed and her whole household was saved. And here this jailer believes and so too was his whole household. And the same hour of the night, or sorry, and they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And then he took them that same hour of the night and he washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Isn't that amazing? Paul and, Paul and Silas are in stocks and bonds, in solitary confinement, having been whipped and beaten with many lashes, and they're still bloody and bruised. Then they start singing and praying. A great earthquake happens. They preach the gospel. The, the jailer gets saved, and then... And only then do they start getting cleaned up and their wounds treated and things like that. And then no sooner are their wounds treated and are they cleaned up, than they're saying, all right, let's get everyone baptized. I mean, these guys are serious. They, they don't miss a beat. I think that's incredible. Verse 34, then he brought them up into his house, that is the jailer. He brought them up and set food before them and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. You see, this Philippian jailer was standing on the brink of eternity. He was about to kill himself. And standing on the brink of eternity, he sees himself as a lost soul. That's why he says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul presents the gospel in one sentence. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. You can say, I don't know how to preach the gospel. What is the gospel? I don't know how to say it. I don't know all of what I need to say to preach the gospel to someone. If somebody is in your life asking you, what is this gospel? They're being drawn by the Holy Spirit. All you need to say is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And then the, the text tells us that he was saved. And then what happened? Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him. So he was saved, and now he immediately begins to be discipled. You see, we need to go into all the world and make disciples. But they need to be converts first. And sometimes conversion is just as easy as, listen, you don't understand it all, you won't understand it all, but just put your faith and trust in Jesus. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. And then from there, God will begin to either use you or bring people into that person's life to disciple them, to speak the word of the Lord to them, to help them understand more about the goodness of God. But um, don't be afraid to speak the gospel, even that simple gospel of believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, now, uh, finally, the last paragraph, verse 35. But when it was daytime, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those guys go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. Now, I don't know how the magistrates found out, but I suspect it had something to do with that women's prayer meeting. I suspect it had something to do with those ladies, Lydia and the others, who knew Paul and Silas and knew that they were Jews, but also knew that they were Roman citizens and that they were unfairly treated. And 
I imagine that they showed up at those magistrates' house to let them know, you've arrested some Roman citizens, you've made a big mistake. I don't know that, the Bible doesn't say it outright, but the next day, they sent the order, let those guys go. And the jailer reported and said, the magistrates have sent to let you go, therefore come out and go in peace. They wanted to get them out of town quickly and quietly. But Paul said to them, they've beaten us publicly, uncondemned, no charges. Men who are Roman citizens, and they've thrown us into prison, and do they now want to throw us out secretly? My Bible says no exclamation point. No chance that we're just going to go in peace. Let them come themselves and take us out, Paul says. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and look what it, look what it says. They were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So what they do? They came and apologized, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. And that's when they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and then departed. So here in verse 40, we get a clue that maybe, just maybe, Lydia had something to do. Lydia and her praying women had something to do with their release from prison. Paul and Silas could have ran out of that prison after that earthquake, I'm sure. But then that Philippian jailer wouldn't have been saved. And so they were willing to continue to endure that prison for the night in order that a soul would come to know Jesus Christ. So that's chapter 16, and what a powerful chapter it was. Another jailbreak. We had a jailbreak before in, in uh, the previous chapter with Paul and Barnabas, and uh, now we got a Paul and Silas jailbreak, and I think that's pretty incredible. <laughs>